And in short, what happened in a nutshell? Well, the more I talked about security, be on TV, radio, podcasts like this, uh, writing, blogging, whatever, uh, the more I educate people to stay safe, the more I had a target on my back. So the hackers, and a lot of these were notorious hackers that, that lurked in the dark web and, and they started targeting me. They hit my Twitter account and they took that account over and hacked in through my password. I, they, they targeted my credit card, my debit card. And it was both personally and the company. So it was like a double whammy happening at the same time. Hello and welcome to Fishy Business, a series dedicated to exploring the lesser known side of cybersecurity. I'm Alice. And I'm not Brian, I'm Laura. Brian is traveling uh, for business. I produce this podcast, but I'm also a colleague uh, of Alice's at Mimecast. Every episode will be joined by a special visitor who's definitely not your average guest to share tales of risk, reward and ridiculousness. We'll be looking for new ways to think about cybersecurity, to learn how we can all improve in the fight to stay safe. Alice, what do the words hacked and again mean to you? Oh, well, I think probably <laughs> instant dread, cold sweat running down my back, I think, and, and slight panic sums it up quite nicely, especially <laughs> in our line of work. Very true. I feel the exact same way. And our guest um, said those very words as his business was targeted by several cyber attacks. Today, we're speaking to Scott Schober, CEO, cybersecurity expert and author of Hacked Again. And we can't wait to get stuck in. Welcome, Scott. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, great to be with you guys. Look forward to a great conversation. We are too. And it sounds like you've had, you know, a fair few jobs running in parallel there. We always like to go back a little and just understand if you were to meet somebody at a dinner party, for example, how would you describe your role or your current uh, jobs to them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm running a 50 year old company. It's actually a family business. I'm second generation. I always like to share that with them because it kind of puts things in perspective. Uh, and we're a unique company in that people come to us with a problem, usually hardware-based, and we provide a complete solution, total turnkey, everything A to Z, and we delivered a finished product to them. Typically, most of our designs and the problems that people bring to us, uh, they end up being security-related and tied to wireless. And I always like to share that it's kind of, we're at the crossroads where wireless crosses cybersecurity, which is kind of an exciting area because Wireless touches all of our lives. And, and you say there that um, you, um, you, know, you run um, a sort of family business, as it were. Was that always the plan to sort of take over? How did you sort of get to where you are today? Did you always want to follow in the family footsteps? Interesting question. I, I can't say it was a, a spelled out plan per se. I think things for my life, things just fell into place very naturally at a young age, about sixth grade, I was really into computers. And when I got into seventh grade, they appointed me as the president of the computer club. So I love being around computers, technology. Uh, I, I got an undergraduate degree in computer science, focusing on a lot of electronics and other things. And I went to New York University and then focused in on robotics, media, a lot of other areas, te telecommunications that kind of complemented some of the things. And then growing up in the family business, I, mean, I think literally the first work I did in the family business started in about sixth grade, learning how to solder and learning what electronics were. And I was fascinated with this, still am today. So to me, it's all about learning. And I kind of just started doing everything in the company. And it didn't matter if it was cutting the grass or soldering or <laughs> cutting cables or learning how to program. So to me, it's kind of cool to be able to work in a company and have done 
a little bit of every discipline within the company. And now you're running the company. So you can kind of, I, I guess I like to say I can sympathize with the fellow workers. They're, they're my peers. I don't look at myself as I'm the boss that tells them what to do per se, but I could sit down next to them and understand their frustrations and often try to find a solution. And Laura and I have been reading your book, Hacked Again, um, and we have some sort of great questions on it in terms of we were amazed at how open and um, sort of transparent you were in the book. I can imagine that took quite a lot potentially to come forward and, and share some of your stories. As far as you're happy to, obviously not giving away too many spoilers for our listeners, but are you <laughs> able to broadly tell us what happened to you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I certainly will. And, and I was, to your point, I was a little bit reluctant to share initially when our company was targeting hack because going through the process was kind of a, it, it's an emotional problem when your company is hacked, trying to come to terms with it. But then it's also embarrassing being in the industry as we are for so many decades and having a brand and a name and the fact that we're focusing in on security and cybersecurity. And then people look at it and say, wow, well, if your company's hacked, what chance do I have? So you, you kind of have that hesitation to even talk about it. And it really, what kind of was the um, genesis for the book in, in short was I got a, I came off an interview. I was in New York City on Bloomberg television. And I decided to stop and have a drink and just kind of calm down. My phone rang kind of out of the blue. And I got a call from Associated Press and they said, hey, Scott, we heard that your company was hacked. And I'm like, you heard my company was hacked? How did you hear that? And they'd say, well, we, we have our sources and da, 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 but we would like to, we're doing a, a featured article on it. We'd like to feature your company. Would you be willing to go on the record and confirm some of these things that we found? And I was like, oh gosh, I'm sitting there thinking, no, why would I want to do that? I mean, I'm not an idiot. And then I said, well, I tell you what, as long as you let me share my story, the good and the bad, and, and share some of my misgivings and misfortunes. Maybe it will do some good and help other small business owners so they don't go down the same path that I went. And in short, what happened in a nutshell? Well, the more I talked about security, be on TV, radio, podcasts like this, uh, writing, blogging, whatever, uh, the more I educate people to stay safe, the more I had a target on my back. So the hackers, and a lot of these were notorious hackers that, that lurked in the dark web, and, and they started targeting me. They hit my Twitter account, and they took that account over and hacked in through my password. I, they, they targeted my credit card, my debit card, and it was both personally and the company. So it was like a double whammy happening at the same time. And whenever you have a credit card compromise, you have to reissue it and go through the whole process. Big pain. And this happened for a good half dozen times, all in a very short period of time. So it made me very nervous. Um, we started to receive DDoS attacks, re repeated di a distributed denial of service attacks where they flood your website with just junk traffic. So we couldn't have our online commerce store working at all because we just kept getting bombarded. And then finally, I realized this is getting really bad. When I came in, it was one Monday morning and I, and I kind of record this in the book. I looked at the computer, went online, $65,000 were stolen right out of our checking account. And I said, oh no, what is going on? They, get, they, they got it. And it became a long investigative process. It, 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 and that's part of the, the challenge of it, realizing and learning for the first time, how do I cope with all this? Absolutely. And it, it, that's a fascinating story in terms of, you know, the more you kind of put out there, the more that you found that you were being targeted. And it sounds like the, the hackers and the cyber criminals were kind of warning you to say, 
back off. You know, if you spread this message out, we're going to target you to maybe frighten you into stop spreading that message of how people can stay safe, for example. When it got to its worst, how do you come back from that? How how do you try and sort of wind that down? What did that process like if, if you've thought of it in that way? Unfortunately, I wish I could say the bad guys went away. They never exactly go away. Um, and you never exactly get over it. And I often liken to it to maybe if somebody feels maybe violated in a way I had my car stolen I share that account kind of the emotional roller coaster when somebody takes something that you're very close to and I think that's what kind of happened it affects you inside emotionally where it never exactly goes away you come to terms with it the way I address it is is probably roll up my sleeves and work that much harder I said I'm going to educate everyone now I'm going to tell everyone how to stay safe Um, and that maybe is a little bit empowering and keeps me going and that's my fight back against them because you can't, most of the criminals, the cyber criminals out there, for the most part, they get away with pretty much everything. It's the, the guys that are really notorious, the really large uh, gangs that are, are heavily involved in cryptocurrency and ransomware and some of these other um, notorious crimes, they're, they're getting hunted down and caught because there's a lot of money involved. $65,000 taking out of a checking account. That happens every single day. I hate to say that, mm-hmm. but it, they kind of, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll look into this. We'll investigate it and get back to mm-hmm. you. They don't care. They don't have the time or resources or the wherewithal when they're chasing millions of dollars. And in some cases, some of these recent cryptocurrency um, exchanges getting hacked and digital wallets taken over, we're talking billions of dollars that are now laundered through multiple crypto accounts that's the serious stuff that they got to put their resources towards. So you are among other things, a cyber communicator. Um, What would you say are those sort of top tips that you provide to uh, owners of small businesses? I mean, a lot of it also seems to be potentially training staff to Mm -hmm. be more cyber aware um, because a lot of those threats do come via email um you know obviously we've done research that you know the average ransomware uh payment in u.s companies is six million dollars which is unbelievable amounts of money but actually for those smaller businesses like you were saying you know 65 grand a lot of money but actually in the grand scheme of things not a huge amount what are your top tips for those smaller businesses then um that that you recommend in order for them to stay safe yeah, absolutely. And, and I think what I try to do is when I'm sharing tips, it's important to know we've heard all of these things before. The difference is that people aren't acting upon them. So what I try to do is provide a little bit of either motivated motivation or incentive to actually do it, to make a difference. And I think that's what's so important. In other words, everybody I always start out with, if I'm presenting or, or something, talking about passwords. I hate passwords. We all hate passwords. But then you you start explaining to somebody and helping them appreciate, hey, your little simple password, which is your cat's name or birthday or something else, that could be compromised with automated tools in a fraction of a second. Whereas if you make a 12 to 15 character long and strong password, that's very obscure, something you'll never remember, it'll take a thousand years. When they see the contrast and you put it into perspective, they go, oh, So having a really long password is really important because I won't be hacked. Exactly. It starts to click and you'll never remember it. So what do you do with it? Well, using maybe a good password manager that is encrypted 
will protect it. Now you got to remember one password and it'll store your several hundred passwords and it'll automate the process, but still keep you secure. So I'm trying to train them the importance of understanding trading convenience for security or security for convenience. That has to become part of your decision-making process right at that moment. And, and then I'll usually bridge from that and say, password reuse. More than half the users that I typically talk to still reuse the same password across multiple logins. That's a no-no and, and kind of go down that path. So, you, you know, you kind of build on that so they get the basic gist of it. Then I start sharing tip after tip. Or, or if you're using social media, I go on, I create a different birth date every time I set up a social media account. So if and when somebody's trying to compromise my identity, they call the bank or trying to take credit out in my name, boom, the conversation's over because they give the wrong birth date because they don't know which one's the real one because Scott's got a million birth dates. Um, something that really struck me, and, and we wanted to ask you a bit more detail, what type of investigations should victims of, say, bank fraud do? And, and what questions should they be asking their bank? Because I know you went through a series of questions that you mentioned in your book. Um, and then it got me thinking, I was like, oh, actually, what questions should we be asking? Um, so I, I don't know if you're able to share that with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I can't share specific details because it was part of an investigation. But in a general sense, I think it's important for people to realize you have to ask pointed questions and get information back. I did for my own sanity and for my own investigative purposes that I did parallel to theirs. And what do I mean by that? So I asked the bank and said, hey, you know, $65,000 was taken out of my account. Was that a single withdrawal or was it multiple parties? And at first they kind of hesitate. Well, this is an investigation in the fraud department and we don't disclose that. And I said, no, no, no. As a consumer, I have the right to know that. And I know what the consumer laws say with regards to banking and my personal information. And I know that in part there's culpability because the bank failed in what they were supposed to do. And I need to get some of those answers. I need to know what accounts that money went into, what was the name on the account, and what was the reason that was noted for the withdrawal. And they said, no, we can't give it. I said, well, check with your, your, your managers or whoever the parties that be, I'll, I'll, I'll be patiently waiting. A few minutes, they came back and they said, Mr. Schober, you're sorry. You're absolutely right. We do have to disclose that to you. And here's the information. And I jotted it all down. And that allowed me to um, do my own research and find out. I think you, you're quite unusual in that you are um, a tech expert who's also been a victim of hacking and you talk about it. Not many people talk about it. Um, you know, I, I think um, I'd like to get your thoughts on why a lot of business owners, CEOs don't talk about it. Um, and do you think that has something to do with the, the fear of retaliation as much as the fear of, of company reputation being damaged? Because I think you've actually, it seems like for your business and, and your personal brand and, and sort of your, your career, it seems to be broadly positive mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, um, the fact that you are an expert now and, and you help other people. Um, so for you, it's been positive. But, but what are your thoughts on those CEOs or business leaders who don't want to share and why do you think that is? Yeah. And in fact, I did a piece on this a couple of years ago. I talked about the sting of a cyber breach. It appeared in a Huffington Post. The, the sting of a cyber breach is long lasting for a company, especially a public company. When you look at a company that change, exchanges on the stock market, they have a lot of people they have to answer to, you know, shareholders, board members, the general public, so on and so forth. So when they have a brand 
they're scared to death to have any negative associated to it. For me, I control my brand, my company, my business to some extent. So in, in, in essence, the onus is on me. I am my brand. And to, to hide or to disguise or not be truthful about what happened to me is just not right. Um, are many companies ashamed and embarrassed and afraid that it'll affect the bottom line, their share price? That's really what I think most of the time it's about. They're trying to protect the almighty dollar which in turn covers up a lot of the things. The, instead of saying that our company was, you know, targeted cyber attack, be a DDoS or ransomware victim, this or that, what do they often say now? We, we find out later it happened a long time ago. It's kind of smoothed over, covered up. Hopefully people didn't, you know, confuse the headlines because something else is going on that's really big. Sometimes they'll disguise it as, well, we paid a bug bounty here of, $100,000 to make this problem go away. So they play a lot of games. And I don't think that's right. And I think that's part of the problem. Why? Because when you don't share information, somebody else is going to suffer next. Uh, cyber criminals win. They're emboldened, they're empowered, they're making money. But at the same time, now they move on to their next target. But when you fight back, when you report the crime, when you make it difficult for them, guess what? Now they got to work harder. Everybody always says, oh, they go for the low-hung low fruit. And it's true. They're lazy. They want the quick dollar, then they move on. Um, when basic ransomware doesn't work, they go to double extortion. When that doesn't work, they're going to evolve to something else. That's why it's very important for companies like yourselves. And when I talk, educate people to share the, the best practices that, that people and businesses can implement to stay safe, to make a difference, to don't feel, I hear oftentimes, well, I really don't have anything that's that important to, for them to take. Why bother? I don't like to say educate through fear, but educate through a wake-up call. And, and, and what do I mean by that? If they don't get the sense of it, if it doesn't affect them personally, they're kind of like, yeah, it's not me. It doesn't. I was speaking out in um, uh, San Diego, a while back at a conference, and this was a, uh, a technology conference. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. I'm going to demonstrate to a live audience, a man in the middle attack without them knowing it. So I'm going to do a little recon first, gather some information about individual people there in the audience, which I did through LinkedIn and other means connected in with everybody, so on and so forth. Then I'm going to set up a bridge AP for the hotel that we're staying in connected to the conference. And I'm going to broadcast this SSID and we're going to put it on a drone. So we actually put a flying access point on a drone and flew it over their heads and told everybody, go on your Wi-Fi on your phone and take pictures, send it back to your family and do a shout out and wave and you'll be on, you know, da, 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 da. And it was funny. And again, these were technical people that also were security professionals and they're standing up and, and normally you're, you don't fly a drone inside of a building or exhibition, but we pushed the envelope maybe a little too far, but we did. And we zoomed in and we had two giant screens behind us. We blew up the images so people could be waving and they see themselves on the screen and everyone's laughing. We had a great time. We dropped the drone down over the, the, the table they sat and blow the papers off when you punch it up in the air. Any event, the funny part was how many people, and these are, again, security-minded professionals that connected into this man-in-the-middle attack. And then afterward, I explained it to them. They were very upset. How could you have done this? And did you compromise my information? This I said this was for demonstration purposes, just to show you how easy it is to distract someone. But then you have the ability to now have direct access to 
their mobile device in this particular case or their laptop. So in part, is that making them a little bit fear? Maybe, but it's a wake-up call. We need to have a little bit of a wake-up call to bring it close to home without stepping over the line and stealing people's personal information or money or things like that. So I try to balance that and help people learn. And then they get the gist of it and go, ah, I learned something today. I guess Wi-Fi is not as secure as I thought. And I shouldn't use free open you know, Wi-Fi and just click on everything to save a dollar. So you talk a lot about educating people and I think you make a great point there around they really have to feel it closer to home first to get that light bulb moment of mm. ah okay I actually need to do something here what are your thoughts in terms of that cyber awareness and, and education for example in schools you know starting out at a younger level building it into curriculum for example and, and assisting young adults or um, children to already start thinking a little bit about how to be safe on the internet? Oh, I think it's a brilliant point you bring up. I highly believe start at a youngest possible age. Why? Because when I grew up, we didn't have computers in class. I have two children in high school. They're handed a computer day one. They submit their assignments, grades. They're using computers. They're using social media. They have smartphones. They have technology that I would dream to have when I was a kid. So that also means they're exposed to more vulnerability. So education, and it really should start even, even down at, at first grade, the earliest days of school at the very basics, the importance of you know, learning about cyberbullying, learning about how to properly use social media, the importance of using passwords. It's that level of, of of innocence and people think, ah, what's going to happen? Yet it's when you get to the front door, you have to be buzzed in and ID and check. So they're very good with physical security, but very lax with cybersecurity around children and teachers and parents. And that, that's not good. It has to be more balanced. So to your point, taught at a very young age and instill the basic principles is paramount. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, we Thank always you. like to end our episodes by asking um, our guests three simple questions. <laughs> so Scott, first up, looking back over your career, what would you say would be the one insight you'd wish you'd learned sooner or maybe that you could go back and tell your younger self? What's the one insight? I'm trying to think of what pops into my head first. <sighs> well, I, I think... Sometimes I have the mistake thinking I can do everything and figure everything out. And maybe that's just a flaw, a character flaw or whatever. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, when, when you have a lot of smart people around you, which I'm, 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 I'm very beneficial now in, in the situation I'm in running a business to have people that are a lot smarter than me that I can ask for help. Some of these people have deep years of experience in technology companies. They have PhDs, education that I could only dream of and probably don't even have the ability to, to get to, but they share information. I can ask them a question. They could share that and I learn from it. So I think part of learning is just not being afraid to ask. Ask for help in everything, everything in life, because that's part of learning. The more you do that, I think the smarter you become and the more beneficial you are to your family, to your business, to society, your friends, because you can give back. And that's, that's probably what I try to do the most is help others. When you help others, it helps yourself. You feel better. That's important. Wise words, indeed. We always get really good, um, surprisingly wise insights, don't we, Alice, on these questions. I love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we should do a book. 
Um, I think you should. I think you both should. You, actually, you could co-author it and work together. I know. Oh, gosh. What I my brother, it works very well. Two minds are better than one. <laughs> Don't Demi get me started. <laughs> we'll start that, Alice, next episode. Um, speaking of books, what are you reading uh, or listening to at the moment, apart from your own book? Um, is oh. there anything that you'd recommend to our listeners? I just started reading Cyber May Day by Dan Lorman. He's a cyber colleague. Uh, he writes for Government Technology Magazine. Another book I'm reading is Bitcoin and Blockchain. It's a deep technical read. It's a lot of mathematics, but it's really exciting for me when you start to understand what blockchain is and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and how it could potentially you know, change the future of our monetary system. And, and it's just cool. So I, I like things that are cool and fun and, and maybe not the normal, whatever people read, I guess. And that's definitely a huge topic. And as you say, in terms of the, yeah. the future um, of finance and, and banking, it's kind of watch this space, I guess you could call it. And with that in mind, in terms of looking towards the future, um, what would you say maybe this time next year would be potential trends that you think we'll be spotting? <sighs> I follow a lot and talk a lot about, write about, read about, have cyber fears about ransomware and its different facets because it it's just seems to be so much more effective than most cyber crimes. In other words, the cyber criminals have constantly taking different code and scripts and, and spinning them to be more effective. And they're targeting bigger payouts um, targeted attacks. Now they're embracing technology. And, and the fear, I think, next year and going forward is as we all adopt this, you know, ability to just connect everything to the internet with billions of connections, an internet of things, devices, we're making it easy for them to target us in our smart homes and our smart cars and our smart lives in general. It's not that safe. Sounds a little fishy, but true. We're all about fishy business here, aren't we? That's um, right. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended at all. And uh, finally, uh, where can our listeners uh, learn more about you, your book, speaking engagements, all of that? Yeah, sure. Uh, certainly my website. It's simply my name, scottshober.com. Book, they can go on Amazon and uh, it's readily available there. And if they do, hopefully they uh, feel free to, to write an honest review about it. Good, bad or ugly. I welcome it all. I think whenever somebody gives you feedback, it just helps you improve as a writer. I, I need a lot of help. So please give me the feedback there and I'll keep improving. I'm working on book number four now. So, Well, I know Laura and I definitely enjoyed it. So um, you're okay. clearly doing Thank something you. right there. Thank you so much, Scott, for joining us on this week's Fishy Business. And thank you also to all of our listeners for joining us this week. It's really been a pleasure having you with us. If you have enjoyed our podcast today, please do leave us a review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're hearing this. And feel free to follow us on our Twitter page at Mimecast if you'd like to learn more about what we discussed. Until next time, 